We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. We're not walking to a party. You're walking to a place where you can get a quick meal or, or take your time. Who knows? But the idea is you're walking to a place that feels authentic. Instead of having music, it's going to be a bus tray. And there's, you know, people are going to be putting forks and plates in the bus tray. And the calling of orders, the, the sound of the griddle, the murmur at the restaurant, that'll be the music. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Wow, the hamburger god George Motes is our guest on today's show, and he doesn't disappoint. George is a writer, TV host, and the guy with the cool hair and endless well of knowledge about the hamburger. On this episode, we go over some big topics, including the origins of the burger in America, Shake Shack versus In-N-Out, yes, there is a right answer, and the best burger blend to buy for home grilling. We also talk about his new New York City restaurant, Hamburger America, and what makes the perfect restaurant burger. I hope you enjoy my talk with George. George Motes, welcome to This Is Taste. Thanks for having me. It's great to finally meet you. I feel like I know you, having read your books, seen you on TV, seen you on First We Feast. It's called Motes. What the hell? It was like George Motz, the hamburger guy. I get that often. It's okay. All right. All right. I'm sorry I have to ask you this first question, but I've always wanted to know. I know Zersky's had his take or had his take on this, and I want yours. Where was the first hamburger in America? Okay. That's a great question. It's actually not a it's – a, it's not a tough answer either uh, because – Simply put, the first hamburgers in America came through the port of New York. They came to New York. Um, it was an ethnic food that came from Germany, from the port of Hamburg. Uh, that's where the name Hamburg comes from. You're probably picking, seeing where I'm going yep, here. I'm seeing, the, I'm seeing the thread, the trajectory. Yep. Exactly. So it was, it was, when it came to the U.S., it was an ethnic food from Germany that was served on a plate. So it wasn't on a bun. It was served on a plate. It was basically a uh, beef uh, cooked, minced beef cooked somehow and then served with a knife and a fork or a fork. Uh, with some gravy maybe and some onions, but it was not a portable food. It didn't actually become a, a officially become a portable food we understand until it hit the state fairs uh, in the Midwest. And that's the first time it became a portable food. And I truly believe that it was because of the hot dog. Because mm. the, the hot dog predates the hamburger, hamburger by a few years. And uh, the hot dog was portable, obviously. It was served. It was, a, it was also from Germany, by the way, from Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. Frankfurter. Yep. Served on bread. And somebody probably saw the hot dog walk by and said, hey, you know what? I, I think I've got, a, got an idea here. We can put the Hamburg steak, Hamburg sandwich, Hamburg on a piece of bread and make it a sandwich. And that's where it was born. But and no one actually knows exactly where that happened or when it happened. We, I see. So, so Midwest roots, Kansas potentially maybe? We don't know. So there are, so, there are probably right now eight or nine claims out there that yeah. all happened around the same time in the 1880s, uh, early to mid-1880s uh, in the Midwest. Where does white man fall into this kind of conversation? I feel that one always gets, like, mentioned. Yes, it gets mentioned for all the right reasons because at some point the Hamburg, uh, when, it, when it made its jump to bread and became a portable food, 
it was still seen as fair food. It was not seen as anything very serious at all. Uh, at some point, it became, uh, you know, the, the food of wage earners. It became a blue-collar food that was served, you know, from small um, uh, small carts outside of factories. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really seen as anything that was known. It, was, it wasn't really for everyone in, in the country. It was also still seen as an ethnic food. It was still seen as dirty ethnic food, honestly, mm-hmm. in the beginnings. People have a hard time imagining that. But it was really White Castle that turned, turned everything around. White Castle is the one that I'd like to say basically saved the American hamburger because at that point it was, it was seen as dirty. A uh, combination of Upton Sinclair with the jungle in the early, early part of the century, yeah. 1906, I think it was. Yeah. I forgot what it was. Um, but he wrote a, a scathing story about meatpacking in Chicago. And at that point, everybody saw ground beef as something that was dirty. It was second, secondhand food that shouldn't be enjoyed by anybody who had a brain that was thinking about what they were eating. Um, the FDA, that's also, it prompted the FDA to come around, which not, it wasn't called the FDA back then, but it started the FDA. But White Castle was the first to actually uh, start uh, talking about cleanliness and hamburgers. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm hearing like burgers back then were gnarly. It sounds like there was likely a lot of like weird shit happening inside the ground beef yeah. back before White Castle made it clean, made it healthy, healthful, I guess. And so did they market like the healthiness, like the fact that you could eat it, like did they co-sign on it in some way? In the beginning, uh, the, uh, it was a guy named Walt Anderson. And he his, his idea was to just, he was making great product anyway. He wasn't making a bad burger apparently because another guy named Billy Ingram came along who was a, a bit of a money guy. He wanted to see uh, Walt Anderson do great things. And uh, what he, he decided to do was back him, but he said, but I think you have to change the burger's image. You're making a great burger. It's a great product, but you need to change the image of the burger. Ah. Let, let's Let's change the name. Uh, I don't even. I actually don't even know what it was originally called, but it was just Walt Anderson's uh, uh, hamburger stand. He he turned a an old shoe sh- uh, here, a shoe repair uh, shack into a hamburger joint. I mean, that's exactly what happened back then. People <laughs> they didn't really care whether burgers were being served. They just they wanted them. They were hungry. Uh, but Billy Ingram said, "You know what? I've got an idea. Why don't we change the name to White Castle?" They th- then White uh, represented uh, cleanliness, yeah. and uh, Castle represented strength. They actually designed their first unit after the uh, the crenellated castle from the uh, water tower in Chicago, which was seen as a, you know as an image of strength. Yeah, <laughs> and they were off and running. People makes, started to believe them. It makes perfect sense, George. And thank you for actually answering a question I've always wondered. And I just have a lot to ask you about. I have restaurant questions. I have questions about making hamburgers. Um, and you cover all in your media in the books that you write. Just a broad question: What does a hamburger choice say about a person? <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on what you put on the burger, really. So uh-huh. not hamburger so much what burger you're eating, but what you put on the burger says a lot about you, unfortunately. <laughs> or fortunately, maybe. <laughs> One of those ketchup. Uh, yeah. I know you want to talk about ketchup today, and I have no problem with that. Uh, if you just put ketchup on a burger, you don't really like burgers. Fully agree. <laughs> My theory has always been, let's try it with nothing. Let's just go straight. Right. And yeah. then adjust as needed. That's my theory. A lot of people won't do that because they want to. They want to believe a, you know, a hamburger cook has an idea for these five toppings should be on sure. there. Or I've read about this thing. I've seen a picture of it on Instagram. This is what I should be eating. So they'll go and do that thing, no matter what it is. Unfortunately, some there's some crazy ideas out there. Like the, for example, the mac and cheeseburger always makes me nuts because the mac and cheeseburger is not really. It's, it's a horrible burger. It's not a good burger at all. But it looks great in a photo. Oh, definitely. So people get get to be it. clear. You're talking about having a cube of mac and cheese between or mac and cheese on top of a patty. Like uh, just dump some mac and cheese on top of a patty. Oh, yeah, not good. No, no, no not oh, good. Because the rough. whole idea of hot pasta and burger meat should not be put together. Just yeah. shouldn't, not, not in that way. The textures are all wrong. Yeah. So where do you fall on ketchup? So here's the thing with ketchup. I like ketchup a lot. I do like ketchup. I just don't like ketchup on a burger. 
to me, <laughs> grease is a condiment. You, right, you're absolutely right. You can start with just grease as a condiment and grease then see where, see where you go from there. Ketchup is okay, though. The problem is that ketchup is not – ketchup is too sweet. It's not the best condiment for a burger alone because it doesn't work at all. It's way too sweet. It overwhelms the flavor of the, of the beef. And you even lose the salt in there if you're just having, you know, sweet – the sweet condiment, basically. It kills me when um, I'm making a burger, friends are who have actually cared and do like a nice 50-50, uh, you know, blend, um, do some like maybe dried-aged beef and regular chuck and, and have really thought about it. And then they they serve the patty to like the friend at the at the barbecue. And then the friend takes both, they like double fist like, mustard and ketchup squirt it on and then like by default it's like yeah. it's like the folks who throw like a bunch of milk in their coffee before even tasting it right this is true <laughs> I, honestly um let's not say milk on a burger don't do that no uh, <laughs> but definitely mustard and ketchup is okay i just you got to be careful with the ketchup and keep careful with the mustard too be, be, be careful with any condiment i mean to me uh one of the best is honestly mayo onions are the best condiment to have on a burger other than just grease hard take love that george hard to i love that take it's really really strong and you're obviously a huge fan of the Oklahoma Smash Burger, which is based around an onion. So, yeah. Just onions. Yeah. And, of course, yeah. if you're in Oklahoma, it's no cheese, but they definitely do recommend putting mustard man, in Man, man, man. Speaking of cities and states and, and locations, is there a city in America that has a sneaky good burger scene? Ooh, wow. In America? That's yeah. a good question. Like, is there a place like... For me, and like I'm not trying to sneaky lead the good. Way. I like, like sneaky <laughs> good, meaning like we know that Los Angeles has amazing burgers because right. that's where a lot of this came from. We know that New York is where Shake Shack came from. Right. Those are like yes, two cities. But the, what is there a city that you really think has a great burger? City? I, I got to tell you, I was just in Cleveland. Oh, let's go. That's sneaky. That's pretty sneaky, right? <laughs> no, I mean, if you can stand behind it being a great burger town, let's go. Where are you oh, going? There was a lot of new great burgers in Cleveland. So the, one of the problems with what I do is that I do a lot of reporting and uh, talking about hamburger history. So I don't really get the chance to, you know, really appreciate. I do, but I don't appreciate all the time new burgers. Mm -hmm. But there is a new burger scene going on in Cleveland that is world class. Oh, cool. So that's, that's a perfect. That's, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a perfect example. I love that. Okay. Just like straight up question. What's your take on Shake Shack? Okay, here's the thing with Shake Shack. I love Shake Shack. I know all the guys who, who run the company, and they're all friends of mine, and uh, it's a great—I think it's a great product. I think that they—you know, anything, anything anything gets larger than it should be, it does get a little bit diluted, um, and I feel bad for them sometimes when they get they get slammed for not putting out a perfect product, but they, it is still a great burger, no matter what you do, and it just needs to be dialed back. I don't like their sauce. Sorry, guys. I don't like So that's sauce. the question, because when you say dial back, <laughs> you think that the Shack sauce is, like, overbearing— it's like a little bit of a Thousand Island. It's got pickle in there. Yeah. Mark Rosati, I love you so much. I don't like the shack sauce. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I have to say, it's my number one. I always say that's my number one. I'll ask you about my number two in, in a second. But to me, I was just like driving on the Jersey Turnpike. I went to a Shake Shack and man, that was really good. Oh, good. Okay. You know, they, they do a great product. There's no question about it. I mean, they, they did the smart thing by dialing everything back at a time when, you know, the big like the... The steakhouse slash, yeah. you know, the balloon burger was – that was the thing. It was – the burgers were getting a little too big for themselves, but big, too big for their bridges. Uh, and then it was really the Shake Shack that that, uh, that dialed everything back. And that was – it was the perfect moment. And actually what it did when they are – like White Castle, they opened the door for so many places. Shake Shack did open – they were like the White Castle of our, our generation. Yeah. Opened, and, uh, opened the doors for so many other places Opening too. it up strategically but scaling at a pretty nice clip but also premium quality. This is what I'm hearing about yeah. the comparison. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely – it's hard to compare. People say, oh, how, what do you – what's <laughs> the – how do you – what do you think about uh, uh, In-N-Out versus Shake Shack? There's no comparison. <laughs> they're two – they're two great burgers. They're just not in the same league. 
league. I disagree hard. I fully yeah. I disagree. I think they're not too great burgers. <laughs> in and out is not a good burger. No, it's I, it can be good. You have to know what to order there. That's the problem. You have to know what to order. But again, like anything else that gets too big, too fast, <laughs> or not too fast, but just gets too big, it gets a little diluted. What do you order at In and Out then? I, I got to give it some some air. My my In and Out order is three by two. So it's three three burger patties, two slices of cheese. Uh, animal style. Animal style, of course. You have to. That's where all the flavor is. And you feel animal style, that the animal sauce is is better than the shack sauce? I do, actually. <laughs> Interesting. I appreciate that. I don't that. really know why. I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm, also, I'm not a sauce guy to begin with. So that's maybe part of the problem. Yeah. I'm not a, I just had to, I had to do an event in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, and they asked me, to. you, know, you have to make a sauce for your burger. I said, okay, fine. So I made up the sauce. I just called it stupid sauce. <laughs> Someone said, why'd you call it stupid sauce? Because sauces are stupid. And by the way, this is a really stupid good sauce. <laughs> I mean, George, that's the way to talk about it. <laughs> that's right. All right, let me ask you, favorite, we'll call it fast food, meaning there's over 50 locations, arbitrary number. Do you have a favorite fast food hamburger? I do, yes. Uh, not many people talk about this. It's uh, Steak and Shake in the Midwest. <laughs> I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan. We got hands in the air. Shalia's got a hand in the air. I got a hand in the air. I'm from Michigan. I love Steak and Shake. It's great. Why is it so good? It's so good because what they're doing is what everybody's been talking about is a new trend, smashing burgers on a flat top. It's the same damn thing. They've been doing it since 1934, I think it is. The <laughs> I same, know. They haven't changed one damn thing. Yeah, the really high consistency there. And and But there was like Smashburger for a little while. That place, Smashburger? Yeah, was, they're, they're still doing really well. They're great. They're, I mean, still they're, doing they're a newer place. I mean, I know the guys really well there. Um, it's a wonderful place. Uh, they make great burgers. But I tell you, there's nothing like I can't, <laughs> I can't knock – uh, I love uh, Steak and Shake. How many of these places have you taken money from? <laughs> <laughs> None of them. No, I, no. I'm kidding. Some, some of the big guys I've done consulting for, but Obviously. I want to mention who. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, and, <laughs> and I appreciate you. Okay, so my number two hamburger in America, I still say Shake Shack is my number one. I know it's, like, not a great take and awesome. goes a no, little watered down. My number two is Cassell's in Los Angeles Ooh, wow. in Koreatown. Have you been there? Do you know about this place? Oh, I know it very well. I know it better than you, unfortunately. I'm sorry, but oh, let's go. Okay, what do you think about it? I, I appreciate it. What do you think about that? So, Cassell's used to be on on Sixth Street. It did. It was old school, like yeah. 30, 1930s location. And yeah. Then they opened up. Uh, I think probably like 12 years ago in the Hotel Normandy. They did. Yeah. Uh, so on I, Normandy and Sixth. I'm a huge fan. I've been a fan forever. I'm a fan mostly because they saved the place. So a guy named uh, Jin Bao, who owns the Hotel Normandy. Yep. Uh, was looking for some kind of American-style anchor for the re- restaurant, for the hotel. Mm-hmm. And he knew that some friends of his were selling, had just closed Cassell's around the corner on 6th oh. Street. And they bought the business from them, moved it over. They didn't just move the business, though. They took with them the original Crossfire Grill, if you know about this thing. No, what oh, is that? Man. Oh, I've heard, I mean, I've heard the name, but tell me about it. Yeah. I think it's only one of three that were ever made. It was designed by some crazy guy in Chicago. And it's an insane piece of kitchen equipment. I can't even actually describe it. It's almost like a, it's like a, imagine a broiler, like a, almost like a salamander. Yeah. But in the bottom, instead of being a rack, it's a, it's a, it's a super thick piece of steel. It's a flat top. So it's like, a, it's, it cooks the burger on the, on the, on the actual flat top and above at the same time. So it cooks fast. I get that. I mean, hot. so you're getting heat from both sides. So the, the, inside, the internal temperature of that, 1,000 degrees maybe? It's, it's unbelievable. I don't even know. I've tried to cook burgers in that thing, and it's almost impossible. Wow. Uh, they've invited me there a few times to cook, and it's been it's been a dream because I get to work on this piece of equipment that's older, well, it's older than me, but it's, it's older than anybody. The thing is over 100 years old now at this point. Now, let me ask you, we'll get to yourself opening Hamburger America in, in New York. You're opening a restaurant. Holy shit. Like, wow, that's Whoa. pretty cool. You're telling me. Um... Do you have a favorite New York City burger? So I don't play favorites because it always gets me in trouble. I mean, 
Do you have a preferred? <laughs> I, well, to be, give me a range. I mean, I can tell you anything. Do you have a couple that you really living here and knowing the city? What, like that you yeah, like I mean, there's, there's the great standbys. And I can give you a quick list here. J.G. Mellon, PJ, P.J. Clark still yeah. makes a great burger. P.J. Clark, you have to ask for the right burger, though. You have to ask for a Baronet's burger, which is just a plain, it's a bear burger with nothing but Baronet's sauce on the side. That's ah, fantastic. I've never asked for that one. I, PJ's is up the street. I've never been. It's not on the menu anymore, at least. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you have to ask for it. It's an off menu, but they'll, <laughs> they have it. They can give you a side of Bernays and you pour it on the burger and you're done. That's it. <laughs> and JG, that's like an old, I mean, I think of it more of as a bar than a restaurant, you know? They got the back room, the one on 3rd Avenue is what I'm thinking about. There's actually, I think there's only one now left. Okay. They're all, the other one's all closed, but you're back to just the original location yeah. up on 3rd Avenue. It's fantastic. I think it's 3rd and 73rd. It's um, so great. It's it, a bar. It's a bar burger. It's a, it's a, you can't, you, I mean, it's hard to go around there. Yeah. yeah. Classic bar burger. Uh, Joe Jr. down downtown on, on 3rd Avenue is also fantastic. For a classic diner burger, it's, it doesn't get much better I than that. I can't believe it's still open. Jimbo's. You know, Jimbo's on, on uh, First Avenue is a great spot. Oh burger. yeah, because it's it's just like they don't they don't know how good the burger is themselves. They're just doing what they've always done. They just make a burger and hand it to you. That's kind of the best. And same with pizza. It's like you when you don't know what you have, so you don't like over leverage and you just like just do it. Yeah, there's or, no there's no Instagram account. There's no, there's no, yeah, there's no. You're humble. You just like do it. Yeah. Exactly. I can keep going here. So that's just, that's just Manhattan. Uh, Donovan's Pub. I love Donovan's Pub in, in Woodside, Queens. Yeah. I mean, I can keep going. Donovan's was going to close during the pandemic, and they re- rebooted it, I think. They did a few times. Uh, it was actually purchased by the uh, the original bar back, yep. who became the bartender and became the owner now. I with, with, that. He brought in a friend of his, also bought it. Okay, so back to Hamburger America. You're opening a restaurant. You're going to have three burgers on the menu. Is that correct? You're going to have two standards and one rotating. I've read this is the press I read. I'm not sure. Yes. So the idea is we're going to have three burgers on the menu. Great. The first, oh, the first, the first thing on the menu is obviously going to be my fried onion burger. <laughs> People seem to like that burger a lot. I'll be making that burger a lot. Um, we're going to we're going to make a classic smash burger, just a you know double patty or single patty classic smash, mm-hmm. and it's, it only comes with mustard, pickle, or onion. You can have all three or none. Or cheese, if you want cheese on there too. Um, and we're also going to have kind of a rotating menu, mm-hmm. which is based on my hamburger heroes. And th- the idea is that it's my nod or it's me giving back to hamburger history and inviting in my heroes. We're actually going to fly in my heroes from around the country to come in for the weekend, be, be PR moment. Yeah, you'll open with this guy doing the thing. Yeah, exactly. The butter burger from you know from Sally's in Wisconsin, or the green chili cheeseburger from the the Santa Fe bite in Santa Fe, the uh, the the Michigan olive burger. We're going to bring in a friend of ours from from CUPE in yeah, oh yeah in so Lansing. I grew up with Hot Now. Oh wow, yeah, okay. Hot Now. There was like eight of them in the state of Michigan. Now there's only one in Constantine, Michigan. Which That's I've right. Yeah, not been to, but the olive burgers in Michigan are legendary. Yeah, if you're in North. I'm sorry, North, just central or west or south. That's pretty much where the olive burger is. If you, you know go to it. Detroit, everyone looks at you like you're crazy. When you Absolutely. Ask for they own the Coney dog, not to be talked about on this show. We exactly. We're talking about hamburgers here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, joking aside, is there a second food that you would say is your number two that you could that you could dive into with this curiosity? And I just love talking to you, by the way, George. It's really yeah. fun. Well, thank you. You're making me hungry, too. Yeah. Making myself hungry. <laughs> I do like Coney dogs. Don't get me wrong. I okay. love them. Hot dogs are fantastic. All right. I, I, the thing is, I eat anything. I eat just about every single thing that's out there. I love it all. I love f- trying to figure out food ways and how things work. And a lot of that is traveling or making stuff at home or traveling, bringing stuff home and then and making it at home with the stuff you tra- you brought home from your travels. Definitely. I do a lot of that kind of mm. stuff. So I love it. I mean, I love my, my top five are pretty much, let's see here, uh, hamburgers, hot dogs, cookies, oysters, and beer. I would 
would have thought four of those. I would have thought sushi was probably nigiri. I feel like you'd be into that zone too. I love that as well. I mean, I, my daughter and I just made uh, sushi the other day. Yeah. Oh, we actually unlocked the sushi thing by making, you know, making the sushi rice and buying yeah. the roller and actually making sushi at home. I feel there's a lot of similarity between hamburgers and, and sushi with the craft. I mean, with the raw ingredients being pretty raw and having to actually marry the two, like, texture and pro- product together. And keeping it simple. And keeping it it's simple. Just like a hamburger, it should be kept simple. I love it. Now, um, when you are opening this restaurant, Will you be there, like, making the burgers yes, yourself? I will absolutely be there. I'll be there as much as humanly possible. I know. I do have a family I'm raising, and I have uh, another book deal in the works right now. I just had a book that came out. Uh, <clears throat> a lot going on. We're working on another TV show. So a lot's going to be going on, but my plan is to stick around the restaurant, be there pretty much in the beginning seven days a week. That's – whoa. I'm going to try. My I, guy, you, you got to chill. You got you to maybe take one day off. That's what they're talking. They're telling me. My guys are telling me, you can't be there every day. I said, okay, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll say you'll, I'm going to be there every you'll day. You'll pop in. I'll be there. I'm not going to pop. I actually be working. My job is to work at the restaurant. What we're doing in the restaurant, which is pretty unique, especially for now for restaurant, restaurant build out these days, mm-hmm. we are putting my griddle in the counter. So I'm actually facing forward. <laughs> that's so- I'm facing forward and talking to people. That's that's my job is to, is to literally be facing forward and talking to people. We have two other huge griddles behind us with other guys, uh, you know, cranking out burgers. But I'm going to be right there in front talking to everybody. And if oh. I'm not behind the griddle, I'm going to be uh, at the counter on the on the on the on the customer side. So there's like this like a position that you're going to be in. Oh yeah, I feel like there might be like a microphone in your head. Like I feel like oh no no no, this is, it's, we're, we're doing running a classic diner here. Oh, I see. and I'm just going to be it's, think white mana, think yep. apple pan. All the great places that have, oh, man. have the griddle in view. White mana, yeah, you got the like the horseshoe style. Yeah. yeah really unique. Um, and you're going to be working the shifts. Yeah. I'm going to be there working. I'm going to be helping manage, helping yeah. you know, run the merch. Who knows? I'm going to be there for all the all the good stuff. Are you ready? Stuff. Are you sleeping? Are you worried? I mean, this is like a big yeah. m- well, move for you. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. I keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, over and over, I said, you know, it's, it's been a long time. We started talking about this restaurant now five years ago. Uh, but I like I've, I've told people around me, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not an idiot. No. Um, I'm opening a restaurant, but I'm not an idiot. I know that because people who open restaurants, they don't know what they're doing are, are not very smart as far as I'm concerned. Because you just get yourself in over your head immediately. Uh, but what I did was I actually I hired a, I hired, I, I asked a restaurant group friend of mine to get involved. Mm-hmm. And that, that saved everything. And a friend of mine who's an investor said, we can get investors involved. He helped me with that. A restaurant group helped me with the, the details. And they said to me, we, we'd rather deal with insurance and real estate. I said, great. I'd rather deal with the branding and the menu. Perfect. Yeah. Here we go. We're yeah. off and running. That's the way it works, definitely. And, and you know, it's really unique when somebody who works in media, food media like yourself, crosses over to the restaurant side. But it seems like you've really thought it through. What are some of the mistakes you've witnessed as like a writer, as a, a, a write reporter that you're not going to make right now? <laughs> That's right. Wow. Uh, uh, I don't know yet. We'll see yeah. what happens. I'm, yeah. I'm making sure that we're just taking it, we're doing everything the right way. Yeah. What we're trying to do is we're trying to build a piece of hamburger history. I'm not just trying to build a restaurant. We're trying to build a, a place that people want to go to. And the idea, the, the short pitch, is that when you walk into the restaurant, we've got you. It's a big hug. You know, you it feels great. It looks great. It smells great. We talked about, you know, what do you in a real restaurant, a real hamburger joint in America, there's really no music. No. Oh, <laughs> Most no. of them have no music, so we're going to have no music. No, people I mean, are kind of like, what do you mean? It's, not, it's like it's not a, we're not walking to a party. You're walking to a place where you can get a quick meal or, or take your time. Who knows? But the idea is you're walking to a place that feels authentic. Instead of having music, you know, we're talking about having, you know, uh, it's going to be a bus tray and there's, you know, people are going to be putting forks and plates in the bus tray and that's the music. Yeah, or the grill. I mean, the song of the grill, yeah. the, the hissing sound of a grill is nothing better than that. The calling of orders. 
calling the orders. Uh, the, yeah. the stuff in the bus tray, the, the the sound of the griddle, people talking. Uh, this is the like the the murmur at the restaurant. That'll be the music. Three burgers in the menu. We haven't discussed the rest. So there's got to be a French fry, I would imagine. Maybe not. And then what else are we talking about? Are we talking about what kind of drinks are we talking about? Because it's really, there's a real art to putting this menu together. It's true. So a lot of what we're doing on the, I say most of what we're doing on the menu is going to be some nod to something else in America, uh, whether it's a, you know, a diner or some other restaurant. Uh, the drink menu is is going to be interesting because it's almost larger than the food menu. Yeah. We have a weird, uh, I, don't know, I don't know, this came up, somebody else asked me this, but we have a uh, very substantial milk program going on. <laughs> We don't, we don't have milkshakes, so I started talking about egg creams and milk, and someone said, oh, that's a lot of milk. I said, yeah, we have chocolate milk, regular milk. Uh, we're going to have uh, a mocha milk, wow. which is a combination of coffee syrup and, and chocolate syrup. We're obviously going to have a, the, the Rhode Island coffee milk. It's going to be on the menu as well. Uh, chocolate egg cream. We're going to have Yoohoo on the menu. Oh, death, death. We have wine and beer. We have a wine and beer license, but we, we're only going to have one beer on the menu. It's Miller High Life in a bottle. Wow, that's <laughs> cool. So, like, you're definitely – that's for those one or two people a day who want a Miller High Life. Yeah, exactly. Or more, maybe so like we, a couple hundred. Yeah, we're not opening a bar. We're opening a place that yeah. sells burgers that, oh, I'd like to have a beer with my burger. There you go. There you no, go. You but know. but definitely not the not the drive. Okay, we haven't, you've been, have you been ducking the question about the French fries? No, I, well, I'm not a big fry guy. Okay. I've never, I've always said if you, you know, it's, if most people don't get fries right. It's just the way it goes. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Except for McDonald's. But, but they actually do get it right. I agree. That's I, That was like not yeah. – like, that was like a legitimate statement. McDonald's french fries are the best. They have worked the science yes. uh, behind the fry perfectly. I agree. There's no question about that. The problem is it's McDonald's. <laughs> problem <laughs> is, is the rest of the, right. the BS. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, but to that end, it's there's very few places that actually make great fries. So we're going to do our best. I've got a, a bunch of ideas what we're going to do. I'm staying out of that. Letting my restaurant guys deal with that one. They're going to they, – and they currently have an own, their own restaurant that has great fries. They own uh, a chain Schnippers. Oh, of and course. Schnippers makes great fries. So I'm not too worried about the fry part. They also like wisely put their restaurant in the New York Times building, which right. is like the <laughs> center of media in the world. I mean, Wait. nice work. Guys. Well, I said to them, I said, I want to work with these guys because that's that's pretty gutsy. Yeah. I mean, it, but see, back, back when they opened, there was not a lot by Port Authority. It's true. They were smart. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're very smart guys. They also owned Hale and Hardy Soups as well before that. So, oh, man. So these oh, are good the guys. mighty have fallen. That used to be and so good. I know. It's true. It used to be so good. Uh, they're great guys. The guys I'm working with are really, really fantastic guys. You know, And I, I know that I'm I'm working with good guys because they 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 want me to build the restaurant that I want to build, not what they want. They're not trying to build their restaurant. They're trying mm-hmm. to – they want me to build a restaurant of my choosing with them. Which I mean, that's the best operators. They need to let the – you need to let the, the chef cook. Let the guy cook. Yeah. Shake Shack fries are kind of trash, right? <laughs> I'm not going to get into t- to crap ducking. Uh, <laughs> All right, George, you've definitely well, let's, let's not taken the bait. You're a no. good man. Sorry. <laughs> But they really are. I mean, really, really a weak link in that chain. In that chain. I'll just say that at the beginning, they were bad, and they knew it, and they fixed them, so they're better. I'll put it, uh, that's, that's what I'll they're, say. They're not better. I mean, I, as I said, my number one burger in New York is Shake Shack. Can't say anything about the fries. Yeah. No, I, it's, I you know, I actually like Shake Shack a lot. I, I, I'm not a fry guy, so. <laughs> no, you, you, that's, that makes sense. One more question about restaurants. Have you done any cool consulting projects recently? I know I've read your bio. You travel probably every continent, maybe. You've been to me- all over the world. Yes. Uh, I've done a bunch. Uh, I can't talk about the actual clients I've worked with. Of but course. Let's just say they're huge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are they time. asking you then? They're at, they're trying to turn their their corporate products into uh, attainable things that people can understand and really and understand uh, really believe in. And that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part is trying to get a larger company to dial back mm-hmm. and think the way you know that I would think, which is you know sort of uh, grassroots, um, simple in a way. 
Uh, it's very hard to do for a big company. Uh, I won't give you any examples. <laughs> I'd love to give you examples. I, I'm not I, doing... I, you can, I can only imagine the names, the logos, the, yeah. the smells. Um, but I got to ask you, like, for even smaller chains, what's, like, some of the errors that they're making that you're trying to fix when you go in there to, like, be the, the doctor, the burger doctor? They're just trying to keep the quality up. It's it's really yeah. it's really difficult to keep up quality. I, th- I believe when you're when you start to expand and trying to feel like the original location is always the, the biggest challenge. And Shake Shack did that for many many years. Yeah. I mean, I've been to Shake Shack in Japan. I've been to Shake Shack everywhere, and I feel like it's it's very similar product no matter where you go, and that's good. Um, but in a good way, it's a similar product, not a not in a <laughs> McDonald's bad way where right. it's just a cookie cutter of the same same crap, unfortunately. No, I mean that's the thing. The seasoning level is what I think about Shake Shack. They really nail the they the, do the seasoning. Yeah, that's yeah. Mark, my chef. That's uh, you know culinary director Mark Rosati. He's the very good at that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, Mark's yeah. cool. I met him a few times. Now I want to transition. So this was all talk about restaurant hamburgers, but there's a whole other universe out there, and it's the burger at home. And my first question, George, is what is more important, the meat or the other things? Ooh, wow. I, w- I mean, I would say definitely the meat is more important uh, because you can have a, you know, a sort of a crappy white bun and good meat and still have a great burger. That's the way it goes. Interesting. Okay, so I... <laughs> so you can't I'll, do the other way around. You can't have crappy meat. <laughs> I agree with you. I, I mean, I was thinking this through when I, when I wrote the question. I was like, what would I answer? Because I don't know, but I feel like... If you have great meat, you can sabotage it so quickly by a bad bun choice, for well, example. Of course, yes. Yeah. I mean, if you put it on like something silly like Portuguese bread, you, I mean, you could ruin it or the wrong the wrong over overpriced brioche or something. You can ruin a burger pretty quickly with like sugary brioche. Mm-hmm. But if you're just trying to, you know, if you have you know cheap mustard, cheap <laughs> cheese and cheap uh, bun and you have great beef, you still have a pretty decent product. So let's hear about the best way that you would suggest making at home, which you write about in your books and you've covered on your shows. Um, let's take me through, I think we will start with the meat because it is the most important. Is there like an ideal meat blend that you ta- that you want to suggest for an at-home cook? Yes. Uh, it's hard to find in supermarkets unless you're buying very specific brands, uh, but it's 75-25 ground chuck. Prim- mm. Chuck primal is the best way to go. Yeah, and we're talking about the the lean to the fat when you're talking about the percentages, right? Right, 75. Yeah, 75% lean, 25% fat, and it's usually ground twice. If you go to a butcher and they have a, a chuck primal and you want them to grind it for you, if they put the chuck primal right through the grinder once, mm-hmm. it's not enough. You have to go through a second time. Especially if you're going to be smashing burgers. Oh, definitely. So, can you? I mean, calling out getting 25 percent fat is is would be amazing. Do you know? Can you do this at Whole Foods? I don't. I don't know at Whole Foods. I actually don't know. I yeah. do, But there are like for, I work with a company called Schweid. Shout out Schweid. And Schweid does do. They have a bunch of their blends. Or not blends, but their grinds are 75 25, chuck or whatever you want. Actually, yeah. I mean, nothing's worse than 90 10, right? You can't do that. I don't, I don't know what that's for. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Uh, a, a light spaghetti sauce, maybe. I mean, maybe. I get. I mean, I mean, fat is flavor. It really is where a lot of the flavor is. I mean, it'll t- beef. It should taste steely, irony, but it really should have that deep, that unctuous, you know, fat in there as well. Yeah, you said the band word of taste. I appreciate it, though. I mean, I must say. Uh, like strip with that iron blood taste. You yeah. need that. You need that like really, or chuck. You just need that backbone, but it's delivered through the fat. Yeah, it's that true. combination, right? Absolutely, yeah. Rendered fat is a very, very specific flavor. I mean, there is some science behind that too. Yeah, and we'll, we'll I'll link to your, bu- your books in the show notes because we can go into that. Right. Um, what about bun choice? Because, you know, the potato bun has had its moment, obviously. Yes. Is that your choice? It is my choice only because it's, it's a denser uh, 
bun. It's basically, it's a denser bun. It's a, it's a, a better delivery uh, method for the burger because it's going to hold together no matter what. If you have a larger patty or a smaller patty or a thinner patty or a greasy patty, a lot of a lot of condiments, it'll hold together better than most buns. Yeah, those yeasty ones that you get that are like cheaper, oftentimes they kind of, they they sog up, right? They, they're they just bad. Yeah, or they sog up or, you know, they're not, that's a funny thing. Sometimes they're not cut in the right spot. Oh, yeah, some, right. Some bun companies will, will not, so the top is called the, the crown, the bottom is called the heel. Yeah. And the heel sometimes gets cut too low. If you put your burger on a thin heel, it just, it, it vanishes. It yeah. Disappears. Yeah. Your hand, you can like feel the, the heat of the, exactly. that, that, that's a bad situation. All right. We're talking cheese. There has to be cheese in a hamburger, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Confirming. <laughs> no, no, no cheese on a hamburger. Cheese on a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your cheese choice? American. Oh, thank you, brother. This is just, you're my guy. I love this. Well, there's some scientific reason reasoning behind that. It tastes great. Uh, most American cheese has twice the sodium content of, like if cheddar has half of American cheese, for example, in terms of sodium content, that does actually go a long way to flavoring. If people get freaked out by American cheese saying, it's no dairy, it's not it's not cheese. Well, it's true. It is a little bit of a science project, but it is, it's it's designed to melt, first of all, yeah. which just makes your cooking process a lot easier. It takes the thinking out of, you know, will, will my cheese melt? You know, Swiss will melt and cheddar will melt, but it, you have to think about it. You, you, know, with you do, and, and you, it. it's a melting um the, that's that's the task, right? Is yeah. melting. Is there anything worse than mozzarella on a cheeseburger? <laughs> so a lot of people, there are countries in the world that use mozzarella on a cheeseburger, especially in South America. There are you do find yeah. their version of mozzarella. Argentina, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. They also you know, they make pizzas and they also put it on a burger. Yeah. yeah. Um they love their mozzarella. But it's not it's not a great no. There's not a whole lot of flavor in it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough hang. Um provolone is definitely a tough hang. I mean, I love that you said American. I think cheddar seems to be the more common choice. Right. But what, what is American cheese but a uh, American cheese is only unaged cheddar. Exactly. That's all it is. So let's get the one that melts and hits that. Point. Right. Let's get the okay. A few melts. things. So we've got, we've talked bun, we've talked uh, patty, we've talked cheese. So now we're talking condiments. We've, we've gone over your, your, your stance on ketchup. What, what, what is, or sorry, mayonnaise and ketchup. What, 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 do you, what should we put on a burger? Uh, mayonnaise is fantastic on a burger. It's wonderful because it is. Uh, it does go the, the same direction as the protein that you're eating, the burger. Uh, it, it works with the burger. M- mustard also works very well. A special sauce. I mean, special sauces do actually, the reason they work is they do have mayo in them. That's why they work. It's why they work. <laughs> and right. the, the base is mayo. So why don't you just go for the mayo? Can we exactly. talk about a preferred mayonnaise, a brand that you like to put on your hamburger? I definitely can, but no one can get it, unfortunately. It's a food service brand called Admiration. Whoa. What yeah. do you mean no one can get it? Is it you, of- you can go to, a, you know, a food store, you can go to a restaurant depot, you can order it from your local distributor, but you can't actually get it. It's called Admiration. Admiration. It's, yeah, it's the same, it costs the same price, actually a little bit less than Hellman's, uh, but it's a great, great mayo. It's a little creamier. Oh, um, yeah. It's called, uh, it's called Heavy. I think it's Heavy Mayo. It's, it's a strange name, but it actually, I, I actually gave my mother a spoonful. I, I can actually eat mayo about the spoonful. Sorry. Oh, I'm with you. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, I'm I, yeah. I'm <laughs> you, with you. Hellman's is a little bit too, um, sometimes it can be a little too, um, uh, like almost kind of cheesy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I agree. Don't know why. It's a little sweet. I think Duke's is still my choice for industrial. Um, yeah. I do think there's a, a chain in Wisconsin called Cousins. They do subs. Oh, yeah. Their mayonnaise is, um, it's special. They might be using uh, admiration. Admiration. <laughs> I'm, I'm like definitely going to check this out. Something to know, though, if, you, uh, if you're in South America and you're having mayonnaise uh, and you're having Hellman's, it's actually a different recipe and it actually tastes better, I think. It's wow. Little, yeah. Yeah. So that South American Hellman's is yeah. what you got to get. South American Hellman's actually tastes like admiration mayo. Love that. Okay, 
biggest burger mistake that you make when making a burger at home? The biggest mistake you get, I always tell people is that if you're making for a lot of people, you're talking about just for by yourself. Oh, good call. Good call. I like the, the follow-up. Let's say like when you're hosting, because I think you're right. Like there's definitely a different scenario when you're hosting. When you're hosting, the biggest mistake is two big mistakes. Number one, you've got to be ready. If you're not ready, you're going to screw everything up, which means mise en place, which means, you know, it's the French word for, you know, things in its place, right? Um, put in place. And the idea is you want to put everything together so you don't have to think about stuff. You want to make sure you've got a stack of cheese. You've got all the, the – your grill is going to be the right temperature and everything. Mm-hmm. Get it ready. The second thing to do is when you're actually getting ready to make burgers to stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I tell yeah. people all the time, like, the, the way you really screw up a, a barbecue is when you are drunk and you're not paying attention and you've overcooked, undercooked, you've, you forgot the cheese. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it was the cheese. And that's really that's where you make your biggest mistakes when you are mm-hmm. when you are uh, not paying attention. It makes perfect sense. You need to be focused. It's also a pretty quick cook time. Yes, thank you for saying that. This is a good point. So if you can put down the drink, you know, for the ten minutes it takes to make magic, <laughs> then you're you people are going to walk away going, "Oh, wow, that was amazing. How'd you do that?" As opposed to being like, "Oh, he can't cook. He can't cook." <laughs> the question about grill grates versus flat iron: Is there any reason to do use a, use a grate? I feel flat top is how I want to make my burgers at home. Flat top is the easiest way. That's the one place where you really can't go wrong. It's it's really hard to screw up a burger in a a pan because think of it as almost like a burger confit. You're cooking the burger in its own fat, and it's not going to go anywhere. Um, You don't get the flame-licked, smoky flavor you get from a grill, uh, but it's much easier to cook in a pan. I tell people, if you want the smoky flavor, take a cast iron pan and put it on a on a Put it on the grill, grill yeah. or just finish it on the open flame if you're going to be, like, if you're doing corn or doing other things. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you get those, like, flare-ups with the, the fat coming down. You also just don't get the, you don't keep the fat, right? You're not yeah. keeping that 25%. You can't, fat. it does stay there, but the fat uh, becomes a different flavoring device. It, it falls onto the coals and explodes, literally, and it, it becomes airborne. If you've got a, you know, a, a grill with a cover, what's happening is those those airborne particles are falling back onto mm-hmm. the burger and making it taste like basically exploded uh, beef fat. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and that's what the flavor comes from. I mean, yeah, it, it's more, it's a more skilled proposition or a proposition for a skilled cook to cook in an open flame. Not yeah. easy. No, people think it's the easiest way to go. You, you, weekend warrior, oh, I'm going to cook on the grill. And I'll tell you right now, if you can cook on a grill and it tastes fantastic, you have unlocked something that most people can't Most do. people can yeah, and, and it's a total misfire, misjudge. I love this. George Moots, I could ask you so many more questions. I appreciate your time. I really do. I want to close by asking you, you're obviously a hamburger tastemaker. You're a tastemaker. You know what you're talking about. Is there another food or an item or something you collect? Is there something you have a passion for that you consider yourself a tastemaker? Whoa. Uh, tricky question. <laughs> yeah, I know the question is tricky, but I feel like you have a lot of interest. So the reality is that I cannot travel without anywhere in the world without going to a supermarket and going shopping. And I'll buy everything. I will buy like the – I just bought a, a, a crawfish plate. <laughs> that shit says something like pinch, suck, shuck, or something. You know, I, <laughs> so was, I forgot what it said. What does it say now? <laughs> well, whatever it was, I, I, I bought the crawfish plate, but I also got the crawfish seasoning, you know, that you only get. You guess, love souvenirs, I'm hearing. I, I, I come back with, I mean, I'll, I'll post an Instagram a, a stories post with everything I come back with. People go, what is wrong with you? Like, I'll come back with a separate bag just for food items and food things and food books and. I, I cannot get enough of the the stuff from supermarkets or from friends that give me food on the road that you just can't get anywhere else. So far, I mean, but do you, do you have like a collection? Do you collect? well? I mean, a lot of stuff is is you know it's a perishable. Oh, right. <laughs> so we have to eat it all. But we're that, then we're actually forced to relive that moment that we had on the road or try to mix the ingredients with something else. 
I've, I've got to the point where I do actually travel with Ziploc bags and, mm-hmm. and bubble wrap. And sometimes I, I actually, sometimes I do travel if I'm on the road I'm in a car, I'll travel with my, my vacuum sealer. Oh, that's so <laughs> And coolers. Smart. Really smart. <laughs> What's on your schedule this summer that you're traveling? Well, we're starting to work on the next book. So I'm not supposed to talk about it yet, yeah. but I will. Um, the next book uh, is the, tra- the Hamburger America. It's the fourth version of Hamburger America. So I do have to get on the road and do that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm going to Maine uh, a couple of weeks from now, and cool. I'm sure, sure we're going to eat the stuff you can get up there inexpensively, like lobster. and. <laughs> yeah. But you'll hit some burger spots too, I'm sure. De- oh, we have to. Way, <laughs> way up and way back down. Um, well, that's that'll be exciting. Um, I can't let you leave without talking about the Food Film Festival. You founded this. I, I attended maybe two or three times. I thought wow. it was so fantastic. You oh, did. thank you. I wish it would come back. Can it come back? It can come back. Uh, the story, the short story is that we were obviously during the pandemic, it was impossible. Yeah. The three things that we needed were audience we couldn't have, chefs from around the world we couldn't have, and then we needed the co- cooperation of, of restaurants. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, which we didn't want to Real ask. fun parties, too. You would always you. throw around those events. Yeah. Very, very complicated, but so much fun. And when people were in sync and it was working, it was perfect. It was so much fun. But unfortunately, they're, they're, we got sidelined uh, during the pandemic and then after even. And now I'm opening a restaurant, so things, got a, things have slowed down. We we haven't forgotten about it. And people like you have told me that they, we need to have it back. Someone just told me yesterday, you know, yeah. where did it go? They asked me where to go. Uh, but we're going to bring it back uh, somehow, somehow soon, hopefully. Yeah. Not I mean, this year. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the, the content, a lot of the directors that you featured, I recall, were folks that would go on to f- produce – beautiful films. I remember a couple that I saw on Netflix. I was like, wow, I remember these doing shorts at the Food Film Festival. Yeah. Yeah, we try to find the, the people who are making films who are uh, not young, but they're young in the business and they don't really know where they fit in just yet. And we, we'd like to say that we ourselves, the producers of the festival are a band of misfits and we try to find the filmmakers and the chefs that are their own band of misfits and it works well with us. We all, we all, we like the, we're, we play well with them. We're not okay. trying to support corporate stuff. It really Really is a, a very sort of grassroots moment um, that involves food, the intersection of food and film. It's really exciting, George Motes. Thank you for joining. This is Taste. Thanks for having me. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com. And make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.